begin with the same two words. I hope this will stay in your minds, preacher, and when you get out into your churches, I hope they'll come out through your mouth. <laughs> I really do. Well, this is how we're going along. I intend to start with text number one. Halfway through, I'll come to text number two. And God willing, when we get to text number three, you'll know you'll soon be on the way home. <laughs> it's nice to know the way the preacher's going to travel, then you can enjoy the scenery. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, I'm going to start at verse 30. And by and by, I intend to paint the same picture. We had the other service because the starting point is identical in David's palace. So if you are ready, 2 Samuel chapter 19, I am now beginning at verse 30. 31. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogelim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old. I can relate to that because I've just celebrated my 80th birthday. We might have been twins, but I was born too late. <laughs> Barzillai was a very aged man, even fourscore years old, and he had provided the king of sustenance while he, he lay at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, Come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said unto the king, How long have I to live, that I should go up with the king unto Jerusalem? I am this day fourscore years old, and can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men and singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden unto my lord the king? Thy, thy servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king, but why should the king recompense it me with such a reward? And there we can stop. Text number one. How long have I to live? And that's a pertinent question concerning all of us. You people up in the balcony and the people center and right and left. Maybe if somebody could answer that question, we wouldn't want to know the answer. How long have I to live? Because you'll be sure, men and women, that Unless the Lord comes soon, we are all going to reach the end of our journey and we are going out all by ourselves into eternity. 
Now that kind of preaching would never make me popular, but it's a fact. And at 80 years of age, I am well aware that down the road somewhere, I shall pass the last milestone, I shall preach my last sermon, I shall attend my last service. And it's quite possible that before I go, you will go earlier. So the question is vital, how long have I to live? I don't know. So it's up to me to be ready in case he takes me any time. Now then, you never understand the text unless you see its setting. So here we go. Forget all about Chattanooga. As I said, the other service, you can come back here when I finish. It'll still be around. <laughs> so shut your eyes and see this, and we start, as I said, where we started the other night. Somebody rushed into David's palace and said, Master, 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 get out and get out fast. David said, what's the matter with you? He said, don't argue, Master, get out or you'll be dead. And he made David understand that Absalom was intent on murdering his father. Time was precious. And as David slipped out one side of his city, Absalom came in at the other. And as I said, there never was night so dark as the night in David's house at that moment. He was going the weary way into exile, and he had no hope of ever coming back. And in the cold, gray light of dawn, as he went his way, he saw somebody coming, going at a tangent, obviously intent on heading him off. And through hollow kind of eyes, he looked, and by and by said, I know that man. That, hey, that's old Barzillai. Now what in the white world is he doing out here? And unperturbed, Barzillai, came up. He said, hi, David. And David looked at him. He said, where are you going? <laughs> where do you think? With you. With me? You must be out of your mind. Don't you know what's happened to me? I've lost my palace. I've lost my home. I've lost everything. I'm finished. C come in with... Don't be silly. And I have a feeling that old bars that I might have said, dear, oh dear, oh dear. Ha! Anybody would think God was dead. What did you say the other day? Why art thou cast down, O oh my soul? Hope thou in God. Why don't you practice while you preach? He <laughs> said, I'm coming. I, don't argue with me. I'm coming. And you young fellows will be hungry by morning, so I brought some food. And David had to swallow hard. There was a big lump in his throat. You never know your friends till you're up to your neck in trouble. And they rode side by side into exile. 
All right. The scene has changed. The nation has rallied to the royal standard. The battle has been fought and won. Absalom's dead. David's coming home. He never thought he'd see that day, but he's coming home. And riding proudly alongside is the old man Basilei. And every now and then David gets a sly look at him. I said, I know, <laughs> I know. It won't be long now. The old familiar landmarks are coming into sight. Won't be long now, but I'm ready for him. So they rode together. And sure enough, by and by, Basil, I said, well, it's been nice knowing you, but the time has come, I'm leaving you. And David said, old man, now you wait. I never thought I'd have a chance to pay the debt I owe, but God has been good to me. In my deepest moments of sadness, old man, you stood by me. And now that the tables are turned, it's my time to look after you. Don't talk about going home. You're coming with me to my palace. And as long as there's breath in your body, you'll dine at my table. I'm not coming. Oh, but you are. I made up my mind. You're coming home with me. You've got another thing coming. I'm not coming. I don't intend to come and you'll never make me come. And David said, but I want you to come. He said, I don't care what you want. I'm not coming. And you know, have you ever, ever met a stubborn old man? Dear God, there's only one worse creature in the world than a stubborn old man, and that's his stubborn old wife. <laughs> no good arguing, because, well, all you can do is shoot her. <laughs> Brother, I, I don't care what you want, I'm not coming. Forget it into your head. And then he relented and relaxed and he smiled. He said, hey, David, come on. I'm not ungrateful. I love you. But, hey, should I tell you something? I'm 80 years old today. My birthday. I am, this day, four score years old. Ah, come on, David. <laughs> Can I come back to your palace and watch the dancing troops? Man, I, I'm going blind. I can't see, I can't taste what I eat or drink, and I, I'm deaf as well. Ah, come on. Do you expect me to go back to your palace and waste my precious moments? I'm not coming. But I tell you what I am going to do. What's that? I'm going back to my village because it can't be too long before I'll be summoned by another king into an eternal palace. Amen. And see, I'm going back to my village and I'm going to sit down and get ready. And when he calls me, I'll be able to look up, up and say, Lord, I'm all ready to come. Oh, sure. I'll be buried by my father and my mother and I guess You'll come down to the funeral. Uh, maybe I'll be watching you, but I don't care. I'm going home 
to get ready for how long have I to live? That's the setting of the text. Never forget when a man in, once in my life I had a church, and a man came to me one day and he said, Preacher, you do something for me? I said, what? Help me make my last will and testament. I said, oh, expecting to die? Well, he said, you never can tell. I said, you're dead right. <laughs> I said, hang on there a minute. And he produced this uh, official form and I filled in the preliminaries. I said, right, shoot. In the event of my decease, I want my widow to have, and he spelled it out. I said, hold on, put it down. In the event of my decease, I want my children. So and so, so and so, so and so. I said, hey, ease up. Put it all down. And so we went step by step by step. And at last, with a sigh, he said, that's all. Now I said, listen, fellow. I have to be quite sure that I have put down here what you wanted put down. Because if somebody challenges the will, I'll be in trouble. If you die, your widow is to have right. Your daughter, your son, right. I said, well, fair play for you, old boy. You've provided for them all. Yes, he said, they'll all have something. I said, well, I'd like to ask you a question. How much will you have? And there was a moment's silence. And he, he seemed puzzled. And then he said, Preacher, don't be stupid. I'll be dead. I said, I know. You've made provision for all the people who will be left in this world. What provision have you made for yourself in the land to which you're going? And when the penny dropped, he gasped and he said, Good God, I never thought about it. Doesn't that sum it up? I guarantee, ladies and gentlemen, that if a young couple gets married, if the man has any brains at all, he'll make provision whereby, in the event of an accident, his young bride will be cared for. We think of every eventuality in life except the most important what provision have we made for eternity? Is there any man or woman here tonight and you're not a Christian? Well, hear it bluntly. You can be as good as good can be until you are such a wonderful character that everybody admires you. Do you know what God says? Your best is filthy rags. So, if our best is filthy rags, how would you describe the other stuff? It must be stinking. Christians, I know you're all thrilled to bits that I'm getting in the gospel, but you're going to reach the end of your journey too. And do you know, preachers, there is one thing you'll never do in eternity. You'll never win a lost soul. The closer I get to sunrise, the more I'm determined that by God's enabling grace, I'll go home with the flags flying. I said to somebody today, I have been enabled by grace to preach the gospel for 66 years. 
and I've never gr- grown tired of my message. Amen. For 66 amazing years, Amen. he has held my hand, and I've never gotten tired of his companionship. They say, well, you should retire. All my friends did, and they're already gone. I'd like, as I said, I'd like to live to be 120 and be a thorn in the devil's hide all the time till then. And if on the eve of my 120th, I'm feeling pretty good, I'll ask for an extension. The people who say they want to go to heaven, bluntly, I think they're liars. Because the first time they get a pain, they hightail it to the doctors to get rid of it. Man, if you want to go to heaven, why don't you roll over and die gracefully? <laughs> I hate hot air, and I don't like the people who produce it. We are humans. There's something about the old world that charms us. And my desire should be not to die for Christ, but to live for him. When it's time to die or be changed, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, he'll undertake for it. But preachers, if you ever go into your pulpit unprepared, if your heart has never been stirred by the message, you'll never stir your deacons nor your members. Any backsliders here tonight? I can guarantee this with the certainty of a prophet. All of us, starting with me. When we get to the end of the road, if we are given a few minutes to look back, all of us will wish before God we'd been better men and women. That we'd had more sense. That we hadn't fooled about and messed around. And it'll be no good wishing it because we'll be on the way out. How long have I to live? I don't know. But it can't be much longer. Text number one. The scene changes. In the first book of Kings, chapter 18, you have the immortal story of how there was a drought in Israel. Up in the mountains of Gilead, Elijah the prophet had heard news from a traveler of the things happening down in the royal city. I see some of you are looking for the place. Okay, 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. Let's see now. I'll read it in a a moment. Elijah went down to the royal city. He saw all the things that were happening. He started to preach and they thought he was a clown, escaped out of a circus. He said, let me tell you something. It will never rain in this country until I say so. They said, hey boy, are you the Lord God Almighty? He said, no, but I know him. And they doubled up laughing. And the little voice said, Don't waste your time. Get out, get out, get out. And Elijah went down to the brook Cherith and up a little valley and found an open-air cathedral. The music of the brook was like the great organ. 
The interlacing branches of the trees overhead were the dome of the cathedral. And every morning and every night food was brought by his feathered friends. And when Elijah put down his head on a pillow of fern, he said, Dear God, it's wonderful to know you never slumber nor sleep. See you in the morning. When the slanting rays of the morning sun fell upon his face, he wakened up, he stretched, he said, Heavenly Father, good morning. Rather, it was heaven. But down in the cities, no water. It wasn't long before the cattle died and their bones whitened in the sun. It wasn't long before the whole nation was in dire trouble. They were looking for water anywhere and everywhere. You know the story. Eventually, God said, time to go. And we find ourselves on Mount Carmel. They were all there. And Elijah looked at them. He said, I know. <laughs> You've been looking for me for a long time. That boy, you can't find what God is determined to hide. But I've come not because you want me. I've come because he sent me. And I have a question for you. What's that? Text two. How long halt ye between two opinions? Now he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's pray. Let's put an altar. Let's put an offering. But no fire. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And he said, you better go first, because if I go first and it happens, you'll swear you never had a chance. Get going. And he stood there with his arms folded watching. And they put everything in order. Now he said, hey, you tell you what, if you were God, answers by fire, you've got a convert. I'll be a deacon in this church. And they whipped up a storm. Oh, Baal, hear us, hear us, hear us. And Elijah's eyes closed a bit. He was speculative. And he grinned. Hey, he said, fellas, you know, I didn't realize it till now, but he must be deaf because anybody alive could hear that. Step it up and give him a chance. Give him a break. And he whipped them. Until at last they were yelling. He said, that's better, man. Now, he, now he's got a chance. Nothing happened. And then with an impish smile playing around his lips, he said, hey, I never thought of it, you know. But you know why he's not answering? Why? It's the hunting season up there and he's out shooting. <laughs> Don't give up, he'll be back any minute. <laughs> Can you see that? Yeah. <laughs> and at last they were covered in lather like horses. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. He didn't build a new altar, he repaired the altar of the Lord was broken down. Oh, he said, Wait a minute. Uh, you know, let's douse this uh, offering with water. Man, I didn't think they had any water. Oh, the old king had 
fair supply. And he must have been mad when Elijah said, fetch it out. Boy, what a waste! He poured it all over the sacrifice and the water was running down the ditches. Well, said Elijah, you don't waste that. It doesn't matter because what we need, we need a lake, not a couple of barrels of water. And if we're all going to be in trouble, King should be in trouble as well as his subjects. King could have killed him. Oh, man. Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Oh, God, send fire. Dear God, a split second, it seemed the atmosphere was alight. Instinctively, they hid their eyes. When they looked again, the altar was all ablaze. He said, I asked you before, and I ask you again, how long are you going to fool around? If your God be God, serve him. If my God be God, serve him. But don't fool around falling between two. I was preaching in an open-air meeting in England. I did it regularly for five years. And one night in the middle of the message... Or just as I finished, a fellow pushed his way through the crowd and with a snarl, he said, Preacher, burn your blinking Bible because it's no good. I said, okay. He said, I'm not joking. Burn your rotten Bible. I said, I will. If you will give me something to take its place, and I said, you were shouting the odds and you seem to know everything. You must be a descendant of Solomon. But let me give you a fair chance. Here's one of your buddies and he's desperately sick. He never went to church. He wasn't religious. He spent all his money on liquor and you were alongside of him. Now he's dying and he doesn't have much to which he can hang on. And he looks at you and he says, boy, boy, I'm dying. Please help me. What do you got for him? Never answered. I said, all right. Let's not go to such extremes. Here's one of your buddies coming out of the tavern and he can't stand up. And he's ashamed of himself. He's hanging on to a lamppost. At home, he's got a little wife who could do with a new dress, and he's got kids who could do with some new shoes. But he's got no money, and he's hanging on lest he fall in the gutter. And he says, Buddy, for God's sake, help me. What do you got for him? And he snarled again. He said, I'm not a preacher. I said, well, I am. And then, brother, I went to town on that guy, and I can do it. <laughs> His yelling had brought a big crowd. Uh, for every five cents worth he'd given me, I gave him ten dollars worth. <laughs> Until he slunk away like a dog with his tail between his legs and he never said another word. So I started another meeting and we had a ball. I know of a man in Edinburgh. He was the uncle of one of my colleagues in that party. And Georgie White asked permission to go back home for a little while because 
his uncle was seriously ill. As a matter of fact, he died. And when Georgie, a younger member in the party, came back, he was so sad. I said, boy, what happened? He said, well, you never believe it. My uncle lay dying. He'd gotten to the end of his road. And one of his chums from the pub was there. And the man who was so sick opened his eyes and recognized his friend. And he said, Charlie, Charlie, how are you? And the man said, hang on, hang on. He said, I've got nothing to hang on to. And he died. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not telling you a message you've never heard before. Some of you, you've got relatives. Some of you are very proud of your family. And if I preached until I was 105, I'd only give you new aspects of truth. You know that God loved you. You know that Christ died for you. You know you haven't much longer to stay. And yet you're such a stupid idiot, you're fooling around as if you were sure of another million years. Amen, brother. Now if I'm a fool saying that, you stand up and tell me. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. And even if you had never heard the gospel before, you sure heard it tonight. It was because man couldn't deal with his need that God in mercy sent Jesus. And my Savior, who loved lost people, he took our sins to Calvary's cross. And in so many words he said, Holy Father, I love these people. Whatever they should have, let me have it. And he died in our stead. You be honest and answer me. You've gone into a church and bowed your head and you've said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it's automatic. If you're in trouble and the future is bleak, Oh, God, help me. Did you ever pray this prayer? Oh, Christ, thank you for dying for me. Young people here tonight and fathers and mothers, the hymnist put it perfectly. Live for self and you live in vain. Glory be to God. Live for Christ and you'll live again. Amen. He said, I am the way. Amen. Quickly, years ago, to the tent hall in Glasgow, came Paul Raider, one of your famous preachers of that era. And Paul Raider in Glasgow, Scotland, told a story relating to the Moody Church in Chicago. When Mr. Moody was preaching, and the big crowds were going to hear him because the whole city was stirred, a little dirty boy, an urchin, saw the big crowds and saw the carriages arriving and departing, and into his little mind came a sort of desire to hear this great man, Mr. Moody, whoever he was. So one night, said Paul Ryder, he came, dirty as he was, came up to the door of the church where a big usher stopped him. 
Son, where are you going? He said, please, sir, I'm going to hear Mr. Moody. He said, you can't go in. Place is full. Go home to your mother. And the little kid said, but I want to see Mr. Moody. Go home. Well, this David couldn't fight his Goliath. So he went and leaned against the wall and put two dirty fists into his hands, into his eyes, and he cried. And at that moment, a carriage came around the corner of the street. Mr. Moody stepped out of it, straightened his coat, pulled on on the long tail, and then, listen, a boy was crying. So he turned round and there was this urchin. Son, what's the matter with you? And through his tears, the kid said, I want to hear Mr. Moody, and that big guy at the door won't let me go in. Hmm. The big guy at the door won't let you go in. That's right. Hey, son, I know how you can get in. Honest, if you'll do what I tell you to do. Will you do it, what I tell you? Yes, sir. And Moody sort of scribbled his body, caught hold of his long coat tails. He said, son, if you'll hang on to those coat tails, both hands, you'll get in. I guarantee it. Will you do it? Yes, sir. He was sure he was driving a blessed horse. See? Moody straightened up. He said, you okay back there? Yes, sir. You ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. And Moody swept in past this great big usher who stared. And the kid looked up as if to say, No, stop me! <laughs> Moody never looked back. <laughs> he could feel the tug. He went all the way to the platform, and there was a chair reserved for him. And he turned around, he said, Kid, I told you you'd get in if you'd hang on. Now you sit there. And that dirty little boy listened to Moody preaching. And when Paul Rader told the story in Glasgow, Scotland, he said, I'm the minister of the church. And I know it's true because I was that little boy. Maybe you have some doubts how to get to the glory land. I tell you, boy, hang on to Jesus. He'll get you in. And no... Usher, even if he's 15 feet, 6 inches, will keep you out. Don't worry, what can I do? Will I be good enough? Can I live the life? Oh, God help me. Boy, hang on to Jesus. Well, that's how I got in. Text 3. Just in case you went asleep just now. How long have I to live? Haven't the least idea. So I better be ready anytime. How long halt ye between two opinions? Well, man, that I ought to know. I fooled round long enough. If there's no truth in the gospel, if it's all stupid, you are even more stupid by being in this church tonight. Go out and have a devil of a time, drinking whatever. If it's all rubbish, don't waste your time listening to me. But I tell you why you're here, deep in the human heart, there's something that testifies to the truth of the gospel, and you know it. All right. John is on the Isle of Patmos. Well, I've shown you the other two. I better show you this one. 
turn over the page to the last book in the Bible, chapter 7, verse, let me see, ah, verse 9, how about this one? Revelation 7, 9, John's vision of the end times, his gaze has gone through time to eternity, and John is describing some of the things he saw in the glory land. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Here we go. How long, O Lord, holy and true, how long dost thou not judge and avenge the blood of them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season. O God! Yes. Is it true that there's a wonderful new world coming? Of course. Is it true that our loved ones still on the earth will meet them again? Certainly. And there'll be no tears, no sighing, no death. There's a marvelous new world coming. Of course. But, oh God, what's the matter? How long before you judge these people, judge the earth, get it over with? And oh, that would be glory for all of us. And God said, you'd like me to judge them now? Of course. Uh-uh. Yet, a little while. Because every day that I put it off, it's another chance to tell them the story. If I did what uh, you suggest, oh, I'll have to do it someday, of course. But let's tell them again. And ladies and gentlemen, my brother pastors, that's mercy. Now, I don't suppose many of you are older than I, but some of you are 50, 60, 70. Now, honest to God, can you give me any special reason why God has spared you so long?